Genesis chapter 42 through 45. So, four chapters. And most of you have probably taken me up on my uh, suggestion this week to read those four chapters. Uh, For those of you who were not able to, I think the story is... uh, fairly well known, and for any who may not know it and weren't able to read it, you can hear the message, and you can go home, and you can read those four chapters. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you're the one who works in the preaching of the word, Thank you that you've lifted that burden from me and a multitude of other ministers this morning. And so we look to you, the one who is able and the one who is so gracious that he will. We beseech you for your help and your nourishment in Christ. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, we come now to the climax of the story of Joseph in chapters 42 through 45. In this climax, we also, we find that it's not ultimately the story of Joseph. Ultimately, it's God's story, and beyond that, it teaches us that all of redemptive history is ultimately God's story. It's not our story. It's not Joseph's story. And this is so clearly seen in Joseph's conciliatory words to his brothers in chapter 45, spoken to them when he was convinced of their repentance. He said, you sinfully sold me to Egypt as a slave, but don't be angry with yourselves because ultimately God sent me here to preserve life, to preserve for you a remnant on earth. So it was not you who sent me here. It was God. So I believe this morning that it will be most beneficial for us to view these four chapters in terms of what God is doing or what God is we see God doing in these four chapters. Obviously, I won't be able to hit on everything, but I will try to hit on the most important things in reference to what God was doing. I want us to see God fulfilling his word, and I want us to see God bringing sinners to repentance. Well, first of all, we see God fulfilling his word. What God says he'll do He always does. Lamentations 2.17 says, The Lord has done what he has purposed. He has carried out his word, which he has commanded long ago. Remember the bitter hatred that Joseph's brothers had toward him? Jacob's favoritism set the stage for that hatred. Joseph was the oldest son of Jacob's most beloved wife, Rachel. And because of this, Joseph was favored 
by Jacob over his ten stepbrothers. They were jealous of Joseph, and they hated him. But when God gave to Joseph his word of promise through a series of dreams, they hated him. They hated him. And their hatred toward him, to him and God grew to a fever pitch. In those dreams, God gave his inspired word. Special revelation in those days came in various forms because the inspired written word had not yet been completed. Indeed, Moses wouldn't even start writing the book of Genesis for over 400 years. God gave his inspired word to Joseph in those dreams, and what he said to him was that Joseph's family would bow down to him one day. Well, that was just a little bit too much for those boys to swallow. And their goal from that point on became doing whatever it took to stop those dreams. In effect, whatever it took for them to stop God's word from coming to fruition and becoming a reality. As you know, the brothers came within an inch of murdering Joseph, but instead they wound up getting rid of him by selling him as a slave and lining their pockets with silver. They thought that it would be easy to thwart God's word just by getting rid of Joseph, but they ran into a little trouble with that because the because the story of redemption is God's story, and providentially, unbeknownst to these boys, even they were being used by God to bring about that which they were trying to stop. So, here we are. In chapters 42 through 45, some 20 years after Joseph was sold as a slave, and he has now been exalted by God in Egypt to a position second to Pharaoh only, a position in which people come and bow down to him. And what is the first thing Joseph's brothers do when, because of the great famine, they arrive in Egypt to buy food? What's the first thing that they did? They bowed down to Joseph. It's just, like, it's just like the first thing that they did. They bowed down to him just as God had said they would in the dreams 20 years prior. Chapter uh, 42, verse 6 tells us, Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. They had absolutely no idea that this was Joseph, but he knew them. And verse 9 tells us that Joseph remembered the dreams. They bowed down to him again in chapter 43, verse 26, and again in verse 28. And here in this 
verse, the language describes them laying prostrate before Jacob. If you could just picture these men, these strong men, all lined out flat as a pancake on the ground, possibly their hands like this and their noses on the ground before Joseph. And then they bowed down yet again to him in chapter 44, verse 14. And there Moses tells us that they fell to the ground that time. Twenty years earlier, God had promised that they would bow before him one day, and now you have it. God always fulfills his word. And that's what we see him doing in this chapter. He never fails to keep his promises through the ages. So we too can be certain as God's children of faith that he will always keep his promises that he has made to us. He came to Joseph personally and made a promise to him and just as personally, he has made promises to you in his written word. For example, he says to you in Romans 8:28, all things will work together for your good because you love Jesus and are called according and are and are called by God uh, according to his purposes in Christ for you. Well, you might be able to think back to some pretty scary times that God got you through and you remembered the promise that God had given to you and you knew that he had strengthened you in your faith, that he had worked good in your life through that scary time. Well, the things that are happening in our country today make us doubt this promise, don't they? They make us a little bit wobbly, possibly. But this is all happening as part of God's continuing story today. He is working all things out for the good of his children of faith. Although our country is increasingly going down the path of rebellion and disobedience to God, and although in our nation's worship of the individual, many things are being sacrificed on the altar of that worship, such as our babies and godly sexuality, for example. And although this is cause for us to grieve deeply, and we do, it is not cause for us to become hopeless because God is working all things out for our good just as he has promised and as we continue as his children to serve him we continue to be lights in a dark world. Just one more application of God fulfilling his word for us. Just as God had promised Joseph that his brothers would one day bow down to him, he has also promised in Philippians 2 that one day all mankind will bow before Jesus and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ 
is Lord. Well, we and all those who, who love Jesus will gladly bow. But even those who are his enemies will bow to him. And at that time, with the minds of Christ that we will receive um, in heaven, we will rejoice in God's amazing grace toward us because we will see it better in contrast to what we would have been apart from God's grace in Christ. I think it will also be beneficial for us to see in this story God bringing sinners to repentance. You have to remember that Joseph was God's man, and as God's man, Joseph was willing to be used by God for his glory. We're saved by faith alone, but faith is never alone. It produces fruit and service to God. It results in obedience. Also remember that Jacob believed that Joseph was dead. And over the past 20 years, Benjamin had moved into the place that Joseph used to occupy, the place of being Jacob's favorite son. Because of Jacob's favoritism toward Joseph, Joseph's brothers almost murdered Joseph. Now Joseph is going to see if his brothers hate the favorite son, Benjamin, like they had hated him. And he is going to be used by God to lead them to repentance for their former sins against him. That's why when Joseph imprisoned all of his brothers for three days, they came, they bowed, they had a discussion. In the clink, clinker you go. He kept them there for three days and God was working on their hearts. They, in a, in a very true sense, had sent Joseph into slavery and into imprisonment. And for the first time in their lives, they are now in prison, and God is working on their hearts. So they say in verse 21 of chapter 42 In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us. And we would not listen. This is why this distress has come upon us. Later in chapter 44, verse 16, Judah said, We are guilty. How can we clear ourselves? And do you know that that is one of the best questions that sinners can ask? We are guilty. How can we clear ourselves? Well, the answer is you can't clear yourself. God is the only one who can clear the guilt of a sinner. But in doing so, God must remain just. All sin must be punished. And to maintain his justice, 
God placed the sin of his people upon his son, Jesus, on the cross. And his son became their substitute. He bore our sin as if it were his own. And when he suffered and died, he cleared our guilt away forever. And this is received, praise God, through faith alone. It's received by resting in his promise that he cleared your guilt away for you. He even cleared Judah's guilt away because he too was given grace to believe in a coming Savior. And although he and other Old Testament saints could not see near as clearly as what we do of how this would be accomplished and exactly who it would be for 20 years. The cries of Joseph from the pit and the sight of Joseph in jo- uh, the sight of Joseph in shackles being led off to slavery had been buried deep within their hearts. Now their own experience in being shackled and imprisoned began to mine up that sin and guilt that for so long had been buried deep within them. And that mining up of that sin and guilt was leading them to repentance. What an amazing moment this was. What an amazing moment it was for Joseph. Especially as he heard his brothers quietly talking amongst themselves in a language that they did not think that he could understand and that they had no idea that this was their brother and he could hear them saying we shouldn't have done that to Joseph we have sinned we are guilty before God how can we clear ourselves And upon hearing such sweet and good and true words, Joseph had to, Joseph had to turn away and weep. Indeed, he wept several more times before this was all over. Oh, he was so wanting his brothers to be reconciled to him again and he was so glad to see them you know repentance does not only just happen when we place our faith in Jesus Christ and are saved all of you know that right it's repentance is an ongoing process for the Christian and I'm afraid that often when I say or Matthew says or one of our teachers say that repentance is a part of the ongoing Christian life. Many only think of repentance as solely turning away from sin. Well, that's part of repentance. But repentance is a lot more positive than that. Repentance is having a true sense of our sin as well as understanding of God's mercy in Christ. 
turning from our sin unto that merciful God with a purpose of new obedience. Repentance is having a true sense of sin and at the same time, the understanding and the joy of knowing that God is merciful and turning from that sin. Well, that's what Joseph wanted for his brothers. But he realized that the time was not yet ripe for that. He knew that there was more testing that needed to be done. So Joseph gave them grain to take home. And in his wisdom, he secretly put all the money that they had paid for the grain into their sacks. And upon finding it, after their departure from from Egypt, the brothers' hearts failed them, the Bible says. It says that every one of these men was trembling and they were saying, what? Has God done to us? Well, who ordered the money into their sacks? They knew the Egyptian governor had ordered the money into their sacks, but they were keenly aware because God was working upon their hearts and mining up the guilt and sin that they had repressed for so Long, They were keenly aware that God was doing this to them. Not what did the Egyptian governor, what is he doing to us? No, what is God doing to us? No longer was God going to let them hide what they had done. He was bringing their guilt and shame into the light of day, and it was not pretty. Now fast forward to the brothers going to Egypt again, and this time bringing Benjamin with them as Joseph had ordered. It would have been so strange being invited into Joseph's own house for dinner downright frightening. It would have been so strange for them as the attendant as the attendant seated them according to their age. Reuben, you sit here. Simeon, you sit next to him. Levi, you sit next to him. I hope I'm in order. I didn't look it up. I'm probably not, but you get the picture. Or maybe there were little name cards at each seat for all we know. It would have been so strange when Benjamin received five times the amount of food that his brothers received. Joseph must have been thinking, what are you ten older brothers going to do with the favoritism that is being shown to Benjamin? Well, let's find out. 
He must have said to himself, let's find out. Because privately he ordered his steward to give each of them a sack of grain to take home and to return each man their own money, but to only put Joseph's personal silver divination cup into Benjamin's sack. Egyptian rulers had very costly divination cups. It was thought that they helped these rulers to discern truth, to understand what's going on, to understand the future or what to do. Joseph, of course, would not have used the cup for this. He was a true child of God, but he owned such a cup and it was a very costly and beautiful item. (coughs) Not long. After the brothers headed home, the steward chased them down looking for the missing cup. Of course, it was found in the possession of Benjamin. He's the guilty one, the steward said. He's the guilty one. Everyone else is innocent. He's the guilty one. Everyone else is free to go home. Remember what the brothers did 20 years earlier? The brothers' pockets had been lined with silver when they had sold Joseph. What they would do now with Benjamin would basically tell the whole story because their pockets are lined with money. Money that everyone else who had ever come to Egypt had paid and the Egyptian pharaoh had kept. And now the second time they're receiving money, they're getting this food free. And Benjamin alone is the one who's guilty. What are they going to do? Are they going to support Benjamin or are they going to take the money and run? Are they going to throw him under the bus? Are they going to support him? They're going to support him. They're going to manifest full repentance and they all returned to Joseph. The guy says, you're innocent. You've got, go. Benjamin alone will become the servant of Pharaoh. He's the guilty one. And when Judah and the others got before Joseph, they still don't know who he is. He said, let the boy go. Take me. Judah was the one at the well 20 years ago who came up with the whole idea of selling him into slavery in order to get the money. And now it's Judah, and I believe representing all the others, he's saying, let him go. Take me. And hearing that, Joseph could no longer control himself. And he made himself known to his brothers. 
And this time when he wept, he wept in front of them. And he wept so loudly that Moses is concise to say that the Egyptians and the other portions and other rooms around could even hear him. And he said to his brothers, do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves. God sent me here to preserve life, to preserve for you a remnant on earth. And then he laid his head on the shoulder of Benjamin and he wept. And Benjamin wept. And then Joseph kissed all of his brothers. Wow. If that's not a climax to Genesis, then I don't know what is. There's a lot more to this story. But what a story. I hope it's been beneficial for you to see God fulfilling his word in this story. And God bringing sinners to repentance. And if I was going to have a third point, which I do not, it would have been God's seeing God fulfilling his redemptive purposes. And that is all here as well. But because I've emphasized this throughout the series, I only say as a reminder that preserving the life of these boys preserved God's people. And from them would come God's promised Christ the Lion of Judah, who would bring salvation to the nations. God sent me before you to preserve life. Let's pray. You are such an amazing God. And your providence enthralls us and amazes us. What a good storyteller you are. As redemption and the story that is mainly yours continues to unfold. And we thank you, Lord, for what you did then. We thank you, Lord, for sending Christ. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for Christ's glorious ascension to your right hand. He is now our priest praying for us, upholding us, advancing his church through us, and defending us against all his and our enemies. And Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the encouragement and the assurance of your word. You always come through. And we worship you and praise you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's take our hymnals and let's turn to number...